you know, ideally you want your microbiome, you want your GI to resemble a lush, diverse rainforest. And, you know, you want that diversity, you want all these different microbes, you want them to be healthy and working together. You know, in contrast to that, you have a monoculture cornfield where you're just growing one type of plant and it's just in one type of soil. And so that's very similar to a healthy gut and an unhealthy gut. So, and usually what happens when you have that monoculture crop, it needs lots of pesticides. When it gets a bug or when it gets a plant that shouldn't be there, very similar to someone who has a poor health gut and they need antibiotics all the time. Welcome to the Healthy Human Revolution podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marvis, and today I'm so honored to have James and Dahlia Marin. They are holistic registered dietitians, also plant-based. So welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Fantastic. And so these two are married and have an adorable little girl. And I'll let you, you two share that information. But can you give us a little bit of your background and your story of how maybe how you met or went on a plant-based diet or became interested in registered dietitian? Yeah. Yeah. We'll give you the, the full nine yards. I mean, um, so yeah, we, I guess we'll start with where we met. So Dolly and I met in, while well, doing our undergrad at Cal Poly Pomona. So we both had similar classes. We realized, oh, wow, you, you're looking to be a dietitian as well and became great friends and we're always study buddies and going through all our classes and it was there we actually learned more about, you know, veganism. We learned more about plant-based nutrition. And long story short, we fell in love and fell in love with veganism. <laughs> and, and eventually in more plant-based, you know, nutrition. Because as we know, vegan is very different from plant-based. Um, and I'll kind of let Delia fill in any gaps or, or go from there as far as Layla. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so um, we both kind of were inspired to become dietitians based on our childhoods, which we'd love to talk about more. And um, yeah, just meeting there, we were both learning about nutrition, um, but it seemed very basic. And I think it was James who first read the China study. And it's funny, I was watching Mike the Vegan on your last episode, and he said the same thing. Um, but James read the China study shared the information with me. And then from there, we just had this incredible thirst for knowledge, for plant-based knowledge. And we started following Dr. Greger and, you know, watching more documentaries and we watched Forks Over Knives. And we were very active in our college. So we were both presidents of two different nutrition clubs there on campus. And so um, we've always both been, especially James, more active and having more of a voice. So we did a screening of Forks Over Knives and we screened Food Inc. Um, so our passion for food justice and kind of just social justice and plant-based nutrition was something that really brought us together and um, was something that we wanted to share with others. So how long ago was this? Like, when did you guys decide a, or were you vegan before? Or did you decide after you learned and went vegan? Like, how did that work out? You said, mentioned your childhood. Yeah. So, so childhood, I was the typical American child. I grew up on a steady diet of tarts, meat, and cheese. <laughs> so, you know, I had pretty much chocolate milk and ice cream every day. You know, as a kid, I was morbidly obese. I weighed about 120 pounds in third grade joint pain, asthma, 
I would break out in hives. I was always sick. So, you know, at, at some point, I think it was almost going into high school, I realized I needed to exercise more. I needed to change my diet. I realized somehow that food was affecting me. And if I changed my food, I can change my health. Um, so, yeah, that kind of led me on the path to just health. And I was doing, again, very high-protein diet. When I finally did get to college and realized I wanted to make this a profession and learn more. 2000 or something, when was this? Yeah, absolutely. So we met in 2009. So we met almost 10 years ago. And um, when we both met, like James said, so he was always a sick, obese child. I was the same. My parents both emigrated to the United States from Egypt. And so um, we became acculturated very quickly. So my siblings and I were first generation here in America. And of course, it's enticing when you've been used to one type of diet and now you have a smorgasbord of options ahead of you. So we ate takeout very frequently. Both my parents worked. So um, dinners were quick and we ate, like I said, a lot of takeout foods. Um, I was not very interested in eating healthy, of course, like most kids aren't. And it was not something that was ever modeled for me entirely. Um, it was always one of those guilt relationships with food of it's healthy, so you should eat it. And um, so I never had a great relationship with food growing up. Um, and it wasn't until I was 17 years old that after going to the doctor for years and being told, you need to lose weight, you need to lose weight, you need to lose weight, you're an obese kid, um, that I was simultaneously diagnosed in one day with um, prediabetes. They diagnosed me with an autoimmune thyroid condition, Hashimoto's, and I was also diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, and similarly to James, I was always sick growing up. I, you know, would go through binge eating times and like I had mentioned, just never had a great relationship with food. And so that day that I was diagnosed, I was given two different prescriptions and I was told here, you're going to take these for the rest of your life. Good luck. And I, it was shocking to me. I remember feeling I'm too young for this. <laughs> this, how is this happening to me? I'm a kid. Um, and of course, because others around me were all also unhealthy, it was kind of just, well, you know, it's fine. It's just medicine. Mm. It'll be okay. Um, and I took it for a few months. I felt even worse than I had before somehow. <laughs> I felt I was nauseous every day. I just, I didn't feel great. So I said, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and that's when I kind of started researching nutrition. And this was about the time that I was starting college. I started out as a psychology major and I wasn't too into it. So I took a nutrition class kind of just out of interest and really loved nutrition. And from there, I just began eating healthier, not vegan, not plant-based, just healthier. I started actually eating fruits and vegetables on a regular basis and then took it from there. And once I switched colleges, switched my major, met James, um, from there, we kind of shed layers, I would say. So when I met James, neither of us really ate red meat. Most people don't. Um, I had never really eaten pork in my life. So we were both, you know, chicken, heavy chicken, fish, dairy people. Um, so one by one, we kind of made the transition into being vegan. And then in these last probably three years, we've become very much whole food plant-based. And we've awesome. been really determined because we both grew up so unhealthy to raise our daughter in a healthy way. Yeah, let's get to Lila. So she's three? Yes. So oh. Layla will turn four in a few months and she is. we're just so proud of her. 
So you said Layla or Layla? Layla. Layla. Very good. Mm -hmm. And so she'll be four in December? In in February. So just a few months from now. And so she's lived her whole life whole food (laughs) plant-based. So you also did, excuse me, your pregnancy plant-based. I did. Absolutely. It was controversial to others around us, but I felt great and I had a great healthy pregnancy. Wonderful. That is fantastic. So um, James, did you have anything to seem to add? I know you were looking at your internet and everything's good. (laughs) I I think so. I hope so. Let me know if anything, if it keeps cutting out, I'll maybe do a call in and just do my voice. But, um, but yeah, with that, I mean, yeah, a lot of, a lot of pushback from our family when, you know, Dahlia was getting pregnant and when she was pregnant, a lot of, uh, you know, fear around that with, Oh, baby's not going to be healthy. And, mom's not going to be healthy. You guys need to eat meat. We need to eat dairy. We need to at least eat fish. You know, we heard that constantly. So I think, I think being a team and really having the research behind us and, and having each other to confide in was very, very helpful. And uh, yeah, the pregnancy went amazing. Um, we had little hiccups with, you know, we had a, Layla had a tongue tie. So breastfeeding, you know, going into breastfeeding, I think Dahlia thought, oh, this will be a breeze, I'll breastfeed, no problem. I thought the same, like, oh, yeah, cool. We're just going to be total breast milk, no issues. And that was very far from the truth. Um, but we stuck with it, and it turned out really great. We had breastfed Layla till about two and a half years old. Wow. And um, so, yeah, I mean, and, you know, we even gave milk to our friends. And some of our friends joked around like, oh my gosh, this is like pure organic vegan breast milk. (laughs) Well, it was funny because um, one of my friends was also nursing her daughter around the same time. She went back to work and she didn't have enough. So I gave her some of my milk and she was like, what are you eating? Yours is so high fat. (laughs) So it was just interesting to hear that, that someone who's on a whole food plant-based diet seemed to have more fat that dense milk than someone who was on a standard American diet. Interesting. Isn't that fascinating? So fascinating. And I, I remember her husband telling us like, oh my gosh, I would compare the milks and your guys' milk just looks so amazing and rich and full. <laughs> and his wife's like, wasn't great. <laughs> you yeah. know, that would be fascinating. Actually, that would be an amazing study, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, because we have launched the journal, the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention with Dr. Kim Williams is our um, editor-in-chief, um, which I think I mentioned to you guys before. Yes, amazing. And um, that would be fascinating to say. I don't think anyone's ever done that compared what the nutrient value of, of a woman who's been whole food plant-based went through pregnancy, feeding her baby versus a standard American diet or even you know a healthy American diet whatever yes. that includes meat and dairy and how those would be different. That would... That is. <laughs> when inspiration strikes. We'd love to be part of that. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm going to throw Dahlia, it Dahlia would get pregnant again. Just <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Be careful Let me what tell you're you. cheering me for. <laughs> and they're very expensive as they get older. So my, my oldest will be 25 in March. So mm-hmm. um, and she's getting married in January. So... Congratulations. Yeah. So we're entering a whole new phase. So they're 24, 22, and 20 now. And um, I was not plant-based when I was pregnant, but they were 13, 15, and 18 when we switched over. And um, they're all plant-based now. Uh, Emily's in medical school. She's a second-year medical student. Um, 
fiance is a medical student, plant-based, got his family to go plant-based. So some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So, and the boys, um, Jonathan has launched his own podcast, plant-based podcast. He's launching his own plant-based nutrition bars and Gabriel is studying film studies. Yeah. And he's plant-based and got some of his buddies to go plant-based in college. (laughs) This is incredible. My little Marvis dynasty here. So (laughs) that's such a testament to healthy habits and how that can, again, penetrate into your community and your family. And and, and any age. So these kids are teenagers. So it really, it's really the value of, of strong modeling as a parent. And um, I have amazing kids and I'm blessed in that sense that I think God was easy on me, but I, you know, I do think it's really important that the modeling, so the modeling that you're doing now is phenomenal. I mean, she's got such an advantage over all of you know, her cohorts is, is kids. She's not going to have the ear infections and the, mm-hmm. you know, my kids didn't either. They were pretty healthy, um, but uh, we ate pretty well, but not like, you know, they should um, now, but I can't even imagine. Has Have you noticed that she's not getting the ear infections that her little friends are or some of the she other? Ha- yeah, she has literally never never had an ear infection, knock on wood, thank God, but um, she's never been incredibly sick. Um, And when she was first born, when she was six months old, I went back to work, James went back to work. James was working at WIC at the time, Women, Infants, and Children. So he worked a lot with kids and sick kids would come in. I eventually, a few months later, was working with a pediatrician. So in that period where both of us were working with the pediatric population, I think we were exposing her to tons of germs. We would we went through this six-month period where we were all kind of sharing, but we would recover really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I would see my patients would come in so sick, and I knew, oh my gosh, I'm going to bring this home with me. Um, but she'd be sick maybe a day or two. Not, and then after that six-month period in our lives, she really get sick maybe once a year. And it's mm, not severe. Um, yeah, if that. She has taken antibiotics just once in her life. Um, and yeah, she's a really healthy kid. And like you said, um, your kids are healthy and they really see the wealth in it and they are sharing that with their friends. We have so many people ask us, well, don't you worry that she'll rebel when she's a teenager or that she will stop doing it? And we don't, we really don't because she's educated about it. It's not forced Mm -hmm. upon her. Even Mm -hmm. now, um, you know, of course we're plant-based for health reasons, but once you get into it, you clearly start caring about animals. And so she really is motivated by that aspect. And so she'll see other kids eating things at birthday parties and she'll ask, can I have that? Is it vegan? She'll even ask people, is this dairy? I don't eat dairy or is that vegan? I'm vegan. Um, but when we tell her, no, it's not. And even though the other kids are eating it, say, okay, like no yeah. problem. And she understands that she doesn't want to eat animals and it's not healthy for our bodies. So we don't worry about her at all. That's awesome. And plus she's doesn't have that, you know, I've had kids come in for, cause I, as a family medicine doctor, I've seen from delivered babies through my oldest was like, I think 104. And wow. so you see the wide range of parents and parenting techniques. <laughs> I mean, yeah. when you bring your two-year-old in for their well check and they're eating Cheetos and you're letting them slug down Dr. Pepper, it's a problem. Right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating, but she's never had those hyper palatable foods, right? So she doesn't even like throw the fits like the other kids do probably that are like, but I want my candy and you know, their high fructose corn syrup laden. Yeah. 
Not at, even on Halloween a few weeks ago, um, she had one lollipop. It was time for dinner, so we had her stop eating it, and then she didn't ask for it again, so we just tossed it. And that was her hollow. That was the extent of Halloween for her. That half a lollipop, organic lollipop that she had, and that was it. There you go. There <laughs> yeah, you go. We never really did Halloween, but yeah, it's absolutely you're right. That's she's she's so gonna be far ahead of everything. Yeah. It's and it's really amazing at how well she understands. Like she gets the animal aspect she gets the health aspect she gets the environmental aspect and it, it really sits well with her and it really keeps her motivated and and yeah she doesn't really care for these other animal products or candies or cookies or anything even if it is vegan she's yeah her tastes are more towards healthy whole foods it's amazing that is incredible. I mean, yeah, they do. These kids are very sharp because like when Emily, my oldest, when she was little, um, I think she was like two, um, you know, almost three. So she gets good verbal skills and understanding. And I remember driving, you know, pushing the cart around the grocery store and you know how they have the the lobsters and crabs and they're live and they're banded in the grocery mm-hmm. store. You can buy them live. And she's like, mom, look, there's you know, we're talking about the, I think it was crabs. And it's like, she's crabs. Where are the crabs? Where are they in the grocery store? She can make that kind of like, because people eat them. And she was like, she just had this epiphany of like, what? They're alive and you kill it. And, you know, she, she didn't understand the, the consequences of eating a, you know, chicken and having it dead. Like she didn't understand that process, but that time it started really clicking for her and she didn't want to eat anything that was, even remotely resembled a crab or anything close to it for several weeks. But if I had taken that in, I don't know why I didn't. I'm just really slow. But um, it was fascinating, wasn't it? It is fascinating. And I think as a culture, there's this cognitive dissonance that we have with our food. We've been so far removed from our food. And that's why we're really passionate about environmental nutrition of getting to your food's roots, um, you know, where, how was that food grown? Where was that food grown? Under what conditions? And again, what was the process it took? Because if you're not okay with killing the animal so you can eat it, why are you okay with someone else doing it for you and doing the dirty work? So it's, it's really interesting just how our food system is. Yeah. So tell us what you mean by what you're describing, like environmental nutrition. Like what is that is there a, a place someone can learn about that or, or what is the, the premise? Like what, what does that mean exactly besides getting to know your food? I mean, is it just the process of knowing where the food's coming from or what exactly? Yeah. So within, within our organization, like the uh, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, they do have what's called a dietetic practice group and it's called environmental nutrition. So you can learn more there. Um, But really the whole idea of environmental nutrition is understanding that without a clean environment, you can't have a clean, healthy body. And so we look and we help our patients look into pesticide residues. We look at what do you use to clean your home? What's in your makeup? What's in your hygiene? There are a lot of loopholes in the government uh, and with corporations, and there are chemicals allowed in these products that disrupt your gut microbiome or trigger autoimmune disease or even disrupt your endocrine system and contribute to diabetes, PCOS, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so people just aren't aware of this. And this is, you know, once we lay the foundation of nutrition, we kind of build on it with environmental nutrition and other aspects as well. Wow. That's a great sequela or a um, segue into, 
understanding. Yeah, you guys also work with um, Dr. Andy Sadege, and he's a yeah. GI, plant-based GI doc in California. And I know we've had personal conversations regarding SIBO, and that may be a foreign term to some people. Can you guys explain that is what that is, how that can actually, people who are going to a plant-based diet, how that can be um, experience. So maybe someone who's maybe gone to a plant-based diet and having some struggles, and they may relate to the symptoms. And then the protocol that you guys are mentioning um, mm-hmm. of working with uh, patients with. Yeah, I have a, a great segue to that too, because going from the environment, I had this great analogy. I gave a patient where, you know, ideally you want your microbiome, you want your GI to resemble a lush, diverse rainforest. And, you know, you want that diversity, you want all these different microbes, you want them to be healthy and working together. You know, in contrast to that, you have a monoculture cornfield where you're just growing one type of plant and it's just in one type of soil. And so that's very similar to a healthy gut and an unhealthy gut. So, and usually what happens when you have that monoculture crop, it needs lots of pesticides when it gets a bug or when it gets a plant that shouldn't be there, very similar to someone who has a poor health gut and they need antibiotics all the time. So that lack of diversity in the gut then requires more medication, more antibiotics, and long-term your health is going down and down and down. So that, that's a great segue of how we are our environment. You know, it's very, very similar. And so with this, you know, we're seeing a rise in, you know, well, multiple factors, right? Poor nutrition, lack of exercise, environmental pollution, whether it's from pesticides, all leading to gut issues. So whether it's heartburn, whether it's gastritis and SIBO, SIBO being small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, we're seeing a host of gut issues occur in our patients and even people just we know in general. And it kind of goes back to this you know, all these, all these factors and SIBO. So what we've developed is a protocol to help with people specifically with SIBO, which many, many people have, I think more than, than we even realize. And I think more people are starting to hear of SIBO. It is something that it seems is becoming not only more prevalent, but we're just more aware of. So with this small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, people automatically assume, oh, it's bad bacteria, right? Because we always hear about good bacteria, bad bacteria. The bacteria in SIBO is not bad bacteria. It's perfectly healthy bacteria that's trying to acclimate to a place where it doesn't belong. So it's this opportunistic bacteria. So we have different types of bacteria in different portions of our gut, and that's absolutely part of our digestion. And so you need a different type of bacteria in your large intestine where food is leaving our system than our small intestine where a lot of food is being broken down and digested. And so like James said, there are various factors that contribute to SIBO. So James mentioned a few of them and a couple of other ones that are huge in my SIBO patients are extreme stress. Um, I tend to find that my SIBO patients are often the most stressed patients. Um, Also, a lot of them have history of eating disorder. And so the way that, you know, the etiology of it works, again, you have these doors in between um, your small intestine and your large intestine, right? So you have these, um, oh my gosh, valves. 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 
tighter um, junctions, I guess you could say. Yes, absolutely. There's a technical word for them, but I'm forgetting it. I'm sorry. Um, so you have these valves in between your small and your large intestine. And so this bacteria, oftentimes, like I'm seeing with my patients with history of eating disorder, um, it's hungry, right? Because we're not providing the right balance of nutrients for our body. And so whether that is due to malfunction in our smooth muscle. And so that, again, can come on from extreme stress. That can come on from heavy metal toxicity. That can come on from a host of issues, also eating disorders. When you aren't intaking the right balance of vitamins and minerals, your smooth muscle is not going to function properly. And so, again, when that door is opening, when it's not supposed to open, this bacteria is like, all right, it's my chance. Let me creep up there. That's where all the food is. That's where all the good stuff is. I'm getting all the, I'm getting all the gross stuff that's on its way out. So this bacteria really wants to creep up into the small intestine. And again, that's not where it belongs. It's not bad bacteria. It just was an uninvited guest to that party. And so when that happens, it starts fermenting food in the small intestine. And that causes this extreme painful gas. So some symptoms that my patients with SIBO report, and the first thing that clues me in is I wake up, my stomach's flat, no problem. Right when I start eating, usually it's right before lunch, right around lunchtime, I get bloated and it continues and it compounds. And by the end of the day, I look six months pregnant. I've heard that so many times. I look six months pregnant. Again, because this bacteria is just fermenting all the food that's coming in. And it's oftentimes very fibrous foods that it's fermenting, these unfermentable, undigestible starches that the SIBO is just really going to town on. Um, and so the goal with the protocol that we formulated with Dr. Angie is to remove their favorite food sources for a while, decrease the population, um, use other products to support herbal antimicrobials and things that are going to eradicate that bacteria from the small intestine. So it just moves back into where it belongs. Right. So it's almost like a reflex, right? So it's a sphincter. Yes. <laughs> it's a valve. Sphincter. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't want to disrupt you. But the 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 small intestine bacteria are reflexing or kind of like you get heartburn, you know, it's now, you know, the acids into the esophagus. Just think of the same way. It's like a backwards flow. Flushing the toilet and going out the other way. It's going up, coming up. So right. yeah, it's kind of like this idea. <laughs> I think we'll get messy at that point. Yeah. And I think, I don't think there's a lot of physicians who consider that, um, especially plant-based physicians who are transitioning, honestly, when, when you're a regular physician, you're just trying to learn how to approach patients and saying, hey, you need to do this and send them to amazing people like you. It's, it's a process, right? Because you're trying to learn. You're like, how am I going to you know, stop insulin? And how am I going to stop the blood pressure? It's like, when do I need to be doing that? And so there's a lot of many factors in just the whole process of getting your sales pitch down. Because I consider it a sales pitch. Like I have to make a better sales ploy for your, your eating time than you know, the big guy down the street with the big arches, you know, because <laughs> that for me is really important. Um, but then we get people who don't tolerate it and they're at a mm. kind of at a stance. They're like, well, wait a minute, you're eating a plant-based diet. It's supposed to be the healthiest diet, but you're not feeling better. You're feeling worse. I think this right. is a big part that's been missing. Oh my gosh. I'm so, you're speaking my language. I've been telling James this, that I'm so passionate about plant-based nutrition, but sometimes people need a step further. Like myself, like I mentioned, I have an autoimmune thyroid condition. So perfectly healthy whole plant foods 
my body rejects. So there are even certain healthy whole plant foods that someone on the cleanest whole food plant-based diet is not going to react well to. So I really try to marry my knowledge of plant-based nutrition with more of functional nutrition. And the functional medicine is kind of this buzzword lately. Everyone is saying they're a functional medicine doctor or getting trained in it. Um, But there is really something more to it. And I would say naturopaths have been doing this for a long time using not only food as medicine, but really incorporating other factors and looking in deeper of, do you have SIBO? Do you have an autoimmune condition? Might you have heavy metal toxicity or have you been exposed to mold or mycotoxins, pesticides? Um, so we like to yeah. incorporate that into our practice. Yeah. This is something we'll, we'll call nutraceuticals where we, you know, we, we do use some nutraceuticals, but we really try to use nutraceuticals. So herbs, we try and use teas and we try you know, as, as many natural things as possible. And then, you know, and we're not afraid to use some supplements when needed because some people do need them. And so, but again, you're, I say it's like building and designing a house. You're first going to design the home and then lay the foundation, not build the upstairs and the restrooms without designing or laying the foundation. And so, and again, something we say is it's a supplement, not a replacement, right? So, you know, people who start with the supplements and haven't even fixed their nutrition and their whole foods, they're doing it completely backwards. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it, right? Because this is, it has to be a bottom-up approach. You can't, I like how you did that, lay the foundation. (laughs) I might steal that and some of my patients may be hearing that later. (laughs) Great, I love it. That I think that's really a good point. Um, I started out when I started going plant-based, of course, I started doing research because there wasn't a lot of information on how physicians to be trained to do this. Um, it's a whole different approach, you know. Um, and so I found Dr. McDougall and I found, of course, Dr. Greger's website. And But it, it took some time for me to figure that out. And I think that's where the Pontrician Project is super helpful. I know you guys are, have been there before. And um, so anybody who's a healthcare provider who's really interested in doing this, they should search out the plantrationproject.org and they have some really good information there too. I like the functional medicine. I I took three of their courses because I was thinking that was where I wanted to go. Um, But for me, I love their approach is um, going upstream and looking at that process. And it really made me think differently. I think that really helped me clinch the understanding of nutrition as the foundation. Um, however, for me, it's some, and I'm not want to speak ill of them, but the, there's a huge push for a lot of supplements mm-hmm. and I, it was, it's too much. And, um, it was, it was, I just, it didn't feel right for me. For me, I think we're humans. We're part of nature. We, we don't see giraffes and elephants and gorillas and eating all these different supplements. Why should we need that? Um, granted we're living in a different environment, but we should be able to just eat mostly our foods, maybe supplement a little bit, B12, whatever. Um, and then, you know, on an occasion use and marry Western medicine with this functional idea. So that's kind of what I've tried to do. And I think that's worked out actually really well. Um, and using positive psychology, a lot of this is behavior. Um, you know, if you get down to the functional and anatomical, but it all starts up here. So that's Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I can agree more with that. I mean, it's so true. And I always say, you know, trying to micromanage the human body 
is even harder than micromanaging a corporation of 50,000 employees. Like it's, it's impossible. You're going to drive yourself crazy mm-hmm. by saying, oh, I need this chromium and I need this potassium and I need the, and taking it all in pill form. It's insane, you it know, and it, and it drives our patients insane. So we definitely start with the foundation of whole food nutrition. It's key. Absolutely. And you don't ever want to see that patient who's consuming more supplements than actual food because they have so many to take. It's again, it's a supplement. If you need it because your body for whatever reason is unable to absorb that, then hopefully it's just temporary. And then hopefully we can just go back to whole plant foods. And I think people need to be very careful because there are some individuals who will try to tell you do need all of these supplements and you need this to fight anti-aging and you know that it's it's a medical problem to you know for me as I enter because I'm closing in on the half century mark um, you know I, I I look at that and I go as I enter into um, I'm not perimenopausal yet but as you know menopause is not a medical condition okay that is a natural state of affairs for every human female okay it should be unless you have early you know unless you're surgical and menopause at 30 or something fine you need your hormones but if you or if you have really severe symptoms like i said supplemental for a period of time mm-hmm. and you know some of them will say anti-aging and you need to take this and you and they're giving them i've seen more than a few being given you know bioidentical hormones mm-hmm. and then we're having them turn into hyperthyroid or high testosterone and all this and now they're having high blood pressure and chest pain and headaches and all these things and they're like but i need my anti-aging it's like no, you need to stop it and let your body just do its thing. Um, you know, so that's how I approach it. Like, let's get you on the foundation, right? The healthy foods, what's left over. We'll shake it all out and see what's left and then we'll deal with it. And um, that's kind of been the best approach. And boy, it makes it much easier. Like you said, I'm not micromanaging as much. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think people don't realize, like James said, everything works in such synergy in our body when you're adding a ton of this one thing that's going to affect and downregulate or upregulate something else in your body. So it's not just a Band-Aid, oh, here's some estrogen or here's some progesterone. Every hormone works in synchronicity. You're going to offset other hormones. So it, it really leads down a slippery slope when you're overdoing it. Absolutely. And I've seen so many negative ill effects from that. It's just, I mean, I could write a book about the negative effects (laughs) and um, it's very frustrating. You know, it's almost like, you know, some people, they, they don't want to focus on their nutrition, but they'll go and, you know, have surgery and gastric bypass. And they don't understand those long-term consequences. Certainly there are success stories, but there's many that aren't. And um, I mean, I've had patients on, end up on chronic opiates because they're chronic abdominal pain and adhesions and anemic and vitamin deficient. And I was like, oh, if I'd have just had you before you had the surgery, get you on a plant-based diet and you'll lose the weight and you'll feel good. And, and granted, it's not a panacea, but dang, it's close as we got. Um, and I think, I think part of it too is, you know, I have, I have a patients pretty regularly who go to these extremes who like, you know, should I just do a juice fast and should I just do this cleanse and it'll take me two weeks and just go to these extremes. And I, and, you know, I always try to, part of it is the educating the patient of, look, it took you a while to become this sick. Give your body a chance to become better. You know, at least do half of that time to become better, you know? Mm -hmm. Hopefully it's just a quarter. And usually if they do it well, I mean, I've had patients reverse type 2 diabetes in three months. Mm-hmm. Their A1C is 9.8. It goes to 5.2 mm-hmm. in three months. 
And there's mm-hmm. studies that show that you can do that in two weeks and get off insulin, you know, in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. So your body's amazing. I think a lot of it is just being patient and realizing, look, it took you a while to get sick. You just take some time to get better. You know, it doesn't have to be in 21 days. It doesn't have to be a juice fast this week. It's going to take some time and some habit forming. And I think that's key. And that's where us as dietitians come in because we do grocery store tours. You know, we do in-home cooking demos as well as one-on-one, you know, uh, medical nutrition therapy. And I think dietitians are really to kind of toot our own horn. We're really on the front lines and we're really about giving resources and real life tips and help for any age, you know, whether it's kids or elderly, anything in between, it's so important to build these, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. There's not enough of you people. (laughs) Yeah, we need more. (laughs) Absolutely. I think, and that's where Plantrition Project comes in and we're so, it's such a wealth of just like this pool of like-minded practitioners. And it's nice now that telemedicine is something that's up on the forefront. So referring to the right person who you can trust, because that's really how we linked up with Dr. Angie. It was through a patient. And um, James met a physical therapist just by chance. She looked him up on Plantrition Project. And um, this physical therapist was plant-based. And so she had James come do a talk for her patients. And then one of the patients started seeing James and she also started seeing Dr. Angie. And she told Dr. Angie, I'm seeing a dietitian. She was like, oh no, you're seeing a dietitian because most dietitians, they go by the standard guidelines of, you know, this much protein and you need dairy. And, you know, so Dr. Angie heard that and she was like, oh my gosh, no, don't work with the dietitian. And she said, wait, wait, hold on. He's plant-based. And she literally had the patient call James while they were there in the visit together. And she was like, I need to talk to this guy. He's plant-based. He's a dietitian. He's local. And so the rest is history. And we've been working with Dr. Angie now for about a year. Um, but absolutely. I mean, just like physicians, you find amazing physicians out there. And then you hear from patients, other, you know, maybe not so great recommendations have been given. Um, and it's kind of the same with dietitians, but Social media is amazing. We've been linking up with more plant-based RDs on social media. That is awesome. And um, I, I tell you, I, I would be still like maybe with one or two of my buddies or plant-based if it wasn't for Facebook and Instagram and, you know, Plantrition Project, because I met all these people online and then we meet in person and it's like, oh, it's like my husband goes, whenever I go to these conferences, he's like, you're going to your tribe. It's like, yes. you get so happy and giddy. I'm like, I know I'll never go to another, other, you know, other type of regular academy of family practice. I'm like, it's not the same. It's no. not. And it's extremely frustrating to study for boards because you're just like, oh, God. <laughs> This is not how we should be practicing medicine, people. You feel so drained, you know, going to some of the conferences or it's so draining. On top of that, if you've been seeing patients all week and some can be very taxing. And when you go to like, you know, the, the plantrician events or any events with other like minds, it's like you're being filled up again. It's so, it's so nice. <laughs> it is fully, it is totally recharging your batteries. Yeah. 
And it's like, it is so much fun. Like, and you just love hearing about people get well, like where do you go and you learn about people reversing their diabetes or reversing their hypertension and you to meet amazing luminaries and fields of research and like Dr. David Jenkins. Okay. That's a perfect example, right? Here's someone who invented the glycemic index who pushes a plant-based diet. Nobody knows about this. It's like, what did I learn of it? The man who invented the glycemic index was pushing a plant-based diet, but you know, are the ADAs telling me to tell my patients to eat low carb and high protein or whatever, you know, the going trend is. I was like, you must be kidding me. So he must know something. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. how It's such a misdirection too, because, you know, here you have someone promoting a plant-based diet, but then people look at the glycemic index and go, Ooh, that has too much sugar. Oh, look, I'm going to go eat some more meat and cheese. And like, it was such a, low carb. Yeah. yeah. And this, and this gets into all the politics behind the USDA and all the, you know, the uh, cattle association and the dairy council and all that, and all the money at stake. And I always say, you know, this is the true, I guess, test of how important branding and marketing is because you know, we got, they have people drinking a whole different species breast milk and so fixated on drinking the breast milk of a whole different species. That is the power of marketing and branding right there. You know, right. Uh, it's, right. it's amazing. And yeah. financial support. <laughs> Isn't oh, yeah. it insane? I mean, I love my favorite thing that I'm, I think I mentioned on who did I interview? I can't recall who it was, but I, every single time I speak to a patient, I always attack the milk first because it makes sense <laughs> when I say, okay, so we're raising a cow from 60 pounds to a thousand pounds in 12 months. That's some serious growth, you know, some serious growth formula. I said, we're not cows, we're humans. And then I mentioned, you know, we get some gastric inflammation and micro bleeding in children who drink whole milk. We've known for decades, but instead of saying, oh, stop the milk, let me give you some iron pills. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, by the way, if we're humans, well, if I'm going to go drink a glass of, you know, cow breast milk, why don't I just drink a glass of human breast milk? And people go, ooh, I'm like, that's from a human and you're eating from a, drinking from a cow. Think about that, please. And they're just like, I never thought of it that way. And they don't think of cheese as a milk product. I'm like, cheese is a milk product. <laughs> coagulated straight up fat. Yes, exactly. <laughs> It's even more disgusting if you think about it. Absolutely. And yeah, I, again, that goes back to that cognizant dissonance. So it's like, we don't realize it's milk. What is milk? What, where did that come from? And what is your cheese? And what went into everything else? But I really do feel like being plant-based is becoming more mainstream, which is great. And um, I even have patients now who will come see me not knowing that I'm a plant-based provider. And they're almost afraid to tell me, well, I went vegan, but I lost all this weight and I got off my blood pressure. Like they're defending it to me. And I'm like, that's amazing. Great job. And I think just as providers in general, being open, even if they come and tell me, oh, I've been keto. I'm like, okay, why? Let's talk about this. What motivated you? What's working for you? And that what's not working? You still have a bunch of joint pain and you still have migraines every day and GI pain. Okay, let's maybe try to incorporate more plant foods and go from there. But I have been seeing more and more patients who come to me and say, I'm plant-based and um, again, with some apprehension, but I think it's interesting. Times are changing. 
times are changing and I'm, I'm getting more patience too. Like, Oh, it's funny. You said that and a friend of mine went plant-based or this or that, or someone else mentioned to me, I was like, Oh, there are no coincidences. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not. Okay. And then redirecting those who say I was plant-based, but I stopped because whatever, sometimes they just need that extra bit of education. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And I think more, more parents as well. And, and, mm-hmm. and I should say young people looking to have kids are so interested in this as well, this vegan nutrition or plant-based nutrition and seeing, you know, wow, there's something to this. Mm-hmm. I want to raise a healthy new baby, a healthy new human plant-based nutrition does that. And Absolutely. so it's really getting into that and, and educating these you know this childbearing women and men of childbearing ages because i can't leave out the men being a man myself of how important it is to have healthy sperm you know if you don't have the antioxidants you're not eating well you're not going to have healthy sperm you're not passing on healthy dna to the future generations and that's very important very important absolutely and then that gets into the epigenetics which is a whole nother conversation that's like mind-blowing stuff right there i mean that is just way cool it's like i remember in high school learning about watson and crick and the dna is like wow (laughs) and how much we can impact it it's amazing with nutrigenomics and absolutely and so yeah more of these families are being interested in it and you know for infertility also i just was reading a report infertility is on the rise and um a statistic that i recently read was one in seven american couples now is infertile one in seven that's an incredibly large alarming statistic and again it goes to why 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 is this happening what are we putting in on around our bodies every day um and then again how can we come out on the other side of that and so i know dr marbas you have your amazing support group for families and those who are transitioning into plant-based and plant-based kids Um, And that's incredible. And we've also partnered with Vegan Pregnancy and Parenting. Um, They're a really large community that's um, more social media based. And they also have their magazine called Raise Vegan. But they have come together and we've put together this group on Facebook called Just Ask the Dietitian. And so in our Facebook group, um, we put out educational modules and we are accessible on that group because, again, you have a lot of people out there saying a lot of different things. And we live in California. So um, James and I are combating the fact that in California, dietitians aren't licensed. So anyone can claim their nutrition, nutritionist. Um, we're one of five states where dietitians don't have licensure and that really opens the floodgates up to anyone else trying to impose their own nutrition advice as professional advice. If you, anyone's a nutritionist, our four-year-old is a nutritionist in the state of California. It's so unregulated. And so we wanted to create a community where you are finding answers from a professional. I think online communities are incredible and wonderful, but you know, you're, you're part of these vegan groups and you see Joe say, Hey, you know, just only eat 20 carbs a day. And that's really healthy for you. It worked for me. So um, really to provide those professionally guided spaces is great. And just like you're doing, um, we're partnering with vegan pregnancy and parenting. How can they find you guys and where can they find this resource about the, um, your group? So if you go to the vegan pregnancy and parenting Facebook page, or you search on Facebook for just ask the dietitian, you can also access these both on Instagram. It will guide you to join our, um, closed membership group. And so it's a monthly membership group 
and um, all the information is shared on there. And we also do offer a free trial week. So if you were curious about it, you can always try it for a week, see what you think, get to know the community. Um, and in these past few months that we've been doing it, we've formed a really great community. I feel like, again, we're becoming friends with all these people in the group and we're sharing cool products that we like. And it's, I shared this one low acid coffee. It's called Ticino. It's an herbal coffee for my patients who are having reflux. And so there was this whole two week period where people were posting, look, I got Ticino. Look, I tried it with this or so it's really cool. It's fun to share on there. We share cute, you know, Halloween, we shared pictures of our kids dressed up. And so it's nice. But again, the crux of it is that evidence-based information. Right. And with the, with the power of technology, we're doing lives all the time in the group. Like we have dinner with the dietitians. Do you guys have dinner with us and our daughter? And you look at what we're eating, you ask questions. We do pretty much uh, we do pretty much an event for every holiday. So Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're going to show you plant-based, you know, yummy, delicious foods and why they're great. And uh, and again, you can find out more. We have our website, marriedtohealth.com. And you can also go to raisevegan.com as well to learn more. And Dr. Marbas, we got to collaborate with something. Too. We're all about uh, collaborating with something with the families and the kids. So it's, it's so cool. Yeah, I think um, I actually have been mulching on some things while we've been talking about with working with you guys and some other things I've approached other folks with. And I think we'll talk offline here in just a second. Um, But yeah, some really good opportunities. We, uh, you know, I'm working with Anthony and Jason, which we had talked about earlier and on Healthy Human Revolution. And our goal is to work with experts like yourself and bring not only our message because we have, you know, we have a wide experience. I'm a physician and these guys, there's one's a health coach and all this stuff, but I'm not an RD who has experience doing this, or I'm not an orthopedic surgeon who's done this. And I'm not, you know, a physician who's specialized in autoimmune because she's fighting her own lupus, you know? So these are individuals who are um, working on programs that we're going to be working, collaborating together and sharing, you know, we're working on a kind of a cool project that might be, doing some other things. I can't really quite give up, but I'll share with you guys offline. Um, There's some really neat stuff occurring and people are approaching us to do some cool stuff. Um, I don't know. It's really fun. It's really fun. When you make yourself available, good things happen. Absolutely. Very cool. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'm going to put all the links here and thank you guys so much for your amazing um, information and your experience. I always like to ask guests at the end, if there's one bit of advice for that person on the fence, who's like listening and they're just kind of, they're plant-based curious. What would you recommend to them? I'll let you go first, Elliot. Oh, okay. I always say, try it for three weeks. What do you have to lose? It's three weeks of your life. Try it under someone who's able to give you proper guidance and see how you feel in those three weeks see how your health changes, how your energy improves. And, um, then you can really introspectively ask yourself, why didn't anything else that I do work for me in the past? So I think we're seeing a lot of people try a lot of things. And so again, it's just something to try and give it a good shot for three weeks. Absolutely. And I would say I'm always about being as easy as possible. So I would just say, add more plant foods. Look at what you're doing. If you love broccoli, add more broccoli. If you want to venture out and try something new, try some okra or millet. 
you know, whatever, you know, something you've never tried. So just add before you take away and you feel like, oh no, James and Dallas, they are telling me I can't do cheese and I can't do milk and I can't do, you know, et cetera, et cetera. First add, add the plant foods. You'd be surprised how that might even increase the animal products you eat and make you feel better by just adding these amazing plant foods. You know, some of our mantras are plants protect and heal with each meal. I mean, those are our mantras we live by. So plants will do that. Plants protect and heal with each meal. I've seen that on your um, Instagram. That's absolutely correct. So thank you so much. You two are amazing and so delightful. And I can't wait to continue to watch your little one grow. And uh, we'll see maybe at some point in the future, I might have grandbabies. That's the next phase of my life. I am feeling old just from that. Not but you don't look it. So again, you're a testament of what plans can do. <laughs> yeah, I, thought you were I know. Seriously, no, I, uh, I am. Yeah, that I just turned 48. So next year in January, I'm kind of almost looking forward to the point because I get a lot of comments. Oh, you don't look like you're that old. I was like, next year in January, I'm going to say next year I'll be 50. And I think yeah. that, you know, I can always say I'm approaching 50, but then I'm going to say, you know what, next year I'm going to be 50. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, I'm also have hypothyroidism and I was diagnosed at age 23. Um, no, no, 25 after the birth of my second child. And, um, and I think it's really important what you mentioned that, you know, because foods do heal. And if I'd have known that back then, you know, my second child ended up with severe dyslexia. He was born hypothyroid. His second test, you know, at the two-week point, they recheck and it was negative, but he went on to have pretty severe dyslexia. He's overcome it through hard work and just an amazing kid. And he's fine. He went to graduate third in his high school. He's full ride to college. He's almost graduating college now on his own, going to do his own business. I mean, he's an amazing kid. But if I would have known, he maybe wouldn't have had to suffer. And that's a perfect example of how what we do now, even in our youth, mm-hmm. makes a big difference. And so I, I applaud your efforts and everything you guys are doing. And I can't wait to share your message. So thank you. Well, we feel the same. Thank you so much. We're so grateful to have been on with you. Thank you again, you guys. 